Welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. I'm Chris Eggett, the editor of the magazine, and today we're joined by Richard Jensen Park. We're going to talk about RPGs, D&D, and OSR. If you're not quite sure what all those letters mean, you're probably in the right place. We also talk about Richard's top five RPGs that aren't D&D. Today I'm joined by uh, Richard Jensen Parks, uh, our, our tame RPG writer. Richard, would you like to introduce yourself? Tame? That's uh, you know, a little bit insulting, perhaps. I don't <laughs> Wild and free... No, that's a huge lie. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've been writing about RPGs to tabletop gaming for like three, four years now. I can entirely forget how long. Reviewed more games than I can comfortably fit on my Kallax shelves. Um, I also write D&D adventures occasionally and uh, play just just so many RPGs, mostly online at the moment for reasons I don't want to get into. <laughs> it's more depressing. Yes, it is the, the subject that we're not we're trying not to talk about too much. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to talk about some um, RPGs generally today. I'm, I'm an absolute novice when it comes to this kind of stuff. You're uh, clearly an expert uh, and um, really interesting world for people who... People who, who like me came into the hobby, the, the gaming hobby generally through through things like you know basic gateway games like uh, Catan and Carcassonne and things like that. And uh, so I suppose uh, I suppose the real question is what is an RPG? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> a so RPG stands for role playing game. Um, essentially, it's it is. See, this is my thing because it's it's such a broad field. The definition is really hard to nail down. It's probably going to be leaving out things that some would argue are RPGs or aren't RPGs. So let's go for the very, very broad basic statement, which is it is a game in which the players assume roles within a world that is imagined usually by another player who takes the role of the games master or dungeon master. And yeah, they they run through that world uh, most RPGs have a heavy emphasis on storytelling. The aim isn't so much to win some sort of objective or achieve some mechanical end. You don't want you you very rarely want to be the person who wins at the end of the night. And indeed, in the vast majority of them, there really is no concept of winning as such. In most of them, the aim is to just have a good story, have a good time. I mean, um, the the RPG that everyone thinks of when they hear the word to the extent that certainly for some people they are sort of synonymous as Dungeons and Dragons, where you play, where your your group plays a party of adventurers, they delve dangerous dark places, beat up monsters, steal their loot, and with a bit of luck, tell a cool, fun story along the way. And, and then there's a whole element of that, you know, getting better thing over a campaign or... Uh, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that is usually quite common. So in in most games, the idea of improving, um, you know, week after week, month after month, session after session, and spanning together these games that, you know, you'll play three hours a night, perhaps, but then you'll play for 100 sessions, and you'll have spent hundreds and hundreds of hours building this world and building this story together with your characters improving. But again, one of the weird things is that not all of them, there are some RPGs that don't really have the idea of improvement or stats mm. at all. Some that are intended to play, you know, not week after week, night after night, but, you know, you you play, you invent the idea, they're at the table, you play them through once and they're done. There's a really, a lovely game that was released a couple of years ago called Starcrossed. Oh, we I'm love this game. Huge fan of, yes. And that's one of the games that I would say is an RPG, but it doesn't follow so many of the normal rules. For one thing, there's no... Uh, games master it's a purely two-player game and they sort of build the world uh, uh, together there are no stats as such um the en- the entire idea of the game is that um you is that the two players play people who are in love but for some reason can't you know be be together or shouldn't be together perhaps for their safety or societal pressures or what have you and the entire aim of that game is to play it out in one go, to have the entire story told in maybe an hour, I think is the, the normal time for a game to last. So yeah, it's it's really hard to nail down exactly what is an RPG. It's one of those old things of um, 
generally speaking, you know what it is when you see it. I think I think for a lot of people, uh, there's kind of a barrier to getting into RPGs, isn't there? So it's something a lot of people want to try, but have, I think if you're the first person who wants to try it, that means you're going to have to be the the, the DM usually, the dungeon master, and uh, or the do we say DM or do we say GM? It's so this is this is real nerdy <laughs> stuff. Technically, DM is, I believe, dungeon master. If you use it too much, you get in trouble with Wizards of the Coast. Right, okay. Yes, well, uh, so Games Master? Who are the uh, are publishers of Dungeons and Dragons. Of course. Uh, uh, so we're Games Master, then, I guess. Uh, and that, that immediately puts a lot of pressure on you, doesn't it, as, a, as the person introducing your friends to this new kind of game? Yeah, being being the the, the GM or DM is, is can be quite a terrifying experience for people. All of a sudden you have all this pressure on you, you need to know the rules, and often there's an expectation, but on that, you know, it's your job to make sure everyone has a good time and that it's kind of work. Um, but honestly, it's I love it. I I am a perennial GM. Often that's because I am testing out uh, systems on my friends, and so I kind of need to be in that role. But um, I love it. I love GMing. It's it's an incredible experience. It's, it's a great a privilege to be in a in a group who sort of trusts you to. To show them a good time. I mean, and that is obviously the, uh, the focus of, of your column in the magazine, for the most part, uh, uh, the, the Dungeon Master's Guide to uh, to role playing. Yes, but we uh, we were just talking before before coming coming on the, the call that that the your most recent column is about the theatre of the mind. So, for people who aren't familiar with with RPGs, could you sort of explain the different ways of playing for people, where whether that's theatre of the mind versus using stuff and tables and maps? Yeah, there's the sort of the two um, general ways of handling mainly combat in games because you know an awful lot. Not every RPG has combat in; plenty of them don't, but lots of them do, and especially lots of the more popular ones. At some point in the night, you're expected to you know buff some bad guys on the head. And the main two ways of of doing that is that first of all, there's theater of the mind, which is a rather grandiose term for you just describe things. You say. There are five orcs at the other end of the room. They're charging at you. What do you do? And then there's the maps and minis approach, where you have a you know a map on the square divided on the on the table, divided up into uh, squares, and you'll place some miniatures or some some counters of the orcs, a certain number of squares down the hallway, and then some miniatures representing the heroes on the other end of the hallway, and then you sort of play things out through that with the distance being represented on the map. Um, I mean, you can kind of get things that are a little bit between the way, where you sort of have rough sketch maps and you sort of poke things around vaguely, like a general in World War Two. But yeah, those are the those are the main two dominant ways of of doing things. Yeah, we were saying just before that I, I'd only ever done theatre of the mind stuff, and so I was very I was completely tripped up when I tried to play a game with um uh, with a with a map. Um, and I think my my friends were. As well, because we're all we're all novice players, and um, and just the idea of having anything set <laughs> that wasn't just a discussion um, was quite strange to them. And then really, the, the way that we started playing this thing is they more or less approached it as an escape room. Um, but oh, that's fascinating. I, I think um, just a wildly tangent for, for a second, just because I found this fascinating that your your very first RPG and the RPG you've played the most is. Is Morkborg, yes, is, which yes. we reviewed a couple of months ago, and it's it's mad. It's I cannot, I cannot believe that your vast experience of the game is through this really crazy Scandinavian art punk. It does um, for me. It does what I kind of want an RPG to do, which is and and it's and talking to uh, uh, Johan and um, Pelle who who made who made the game. Um, you know, they they designed it originally as something they could play in the pub, so something very very light. Um, there's the players always roll. I really like that. There's no there's no um, yeah. G, GM rolling. I, I'm not. I just have to make the call. I don't have to make the um, the roll. So there's no sort of there's no screen. <laughs> Nothing's hidden from the players, particularly unless because it's in my head. Um, and uh, and just also um, it's a horrible and violent world um, where things are meant to go wrong. So when things go wrong, it feels okay. Uh, it's very permissive <laughs> in that regard. Yeah, the, um... The the first time that I played it to uh, play it for the the review, I used one of the dungeons that comes with you know with the stuff I got with the book, and in the very first room, 
the players picked up a book and were immediately all killed outright. And that was about three minutes into the game. We, oh, oh, great. Okay, okay, we've got to just mentally tune ourselves in with this game. So I've I've played that I've played that that scenario that comes with called um, Rock Black Sludge or something. Like that. I've played that three times now with with different people. Um, a couple of times just for prep and then actually playing it with, with my current current group, which sounds sounds like I have multiple groups. Um, uh, and, um, and the one thing I'll say about that is that um, there's a guard room. That's one of the first rooms you can go into. I've not played. I've not played it yet, where anyone's not tried to immediately kill the guards. I think there's obviously some some bias in the way of describing someone as a guard that means they must be killed by the players. Because um, you are a, a a heroic adventurer. The, the guards are, are nameless chaff. Yeah, they must be in your way somehow because they're guarding something. You don't know. You don't really know what. <laughs> It is you're you're going in for actually, and my players did uh, halfway through the game say, "What are we here for again?" Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but yes, uh, uh, I think that's interesting. The, the, the fact that you can you can sit as the as the GM, and this is, obviously this is not a mortbook thing. This is a role playing thing. But you sit as the the GM, and you you have an idea of how the story is going to go, and then you watch your players walk past the interesting things, ignore everything, murder something they didn't need to murder. Um, or <laughs> refuse to talk to people. <laughs> Anything like that. So uh, all I can say about that is, um, yep, welcome to the world of GMing. <laughs> and it's, and it's fabulous. It's fabulous. Um, but, well, uh, I know that's that's why that's why I love. It's probably got horribly off tangent. Whatever. So that's why I I love RPGs so much. In that I will sit there and I'll think about all these all these various ways to 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 do things. And then the players will turn up and one of them will sort of tilt their head slightly and be quiet for three seconds. And I think, oh dear. <laughs> and then they say, how about... And all of a sudden things are mad. It's absolutely <laughs> crazy. I I set up... Um, so I uh, one of the games I run is a very... Uh, I say very fairly long-running D&D campaign. I had this incredibly elaborate scheme worked out and i'd spent absolutely ages typing up these notes and planning these encounters and thinking about backstories and, and motivations for this entire legion of npcs and the players just had one clever idea and used some a magic item i'd forgotten about and skipped joyfully past the entire thing and also had and it's frustrating, but at the same time, it's an incredible experience because then I've got to improvise and think, oh, okay, what happens if they don't intervene? What happens if, what happens because they've gone past this thing? What happens now? What's And it's such, that th you know, adrenaline rush and that thrill of, ooh, anything could happen is is why I play RPGs. And I think why lots of other people do as well. It is disappointing. <laughs> I can't leave that part alone, I'm sorry. Uh, but it's very sad to, for, uh, for, for your players not to go. Go go into the ominous black tower or whatever it is, and instead go around the back <laughs> and go do something else instead. Ah, uh, the, the 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 terrible thing for me is describing all of the windows and sort of ominous tower, and they're like, "We've got a rope." That's it. Thinking, ah, crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and the ingenuity that comes out of players when when they're faced with these situations, uh, and when they'll t they'll turn to each other and they'll say, "But you've got this. You've got this thing." You know, uh, you're carrying this, you know, this, this bear trap. You're carrying this bear trap around with you. <laughs> so it's time. To, it's finally time to use it. <laughs> um, or things like people getting wildly sidetracked, which is like, yeah, uh, which is probably my probably my favourite thing about playing these games, which is getting themselves sidetracked into something very um, pointless and dangerous. Um, so killing a monster of some kind. Um, and then um, that monster, I, I always usually do. I, I say always. I, I do. I think to infer that if a monster could poison you, it would be poisonous to eat. And then, so you just do the same check if they cook and eat the monster. Um, and and you have you have this situation where you're just like you're going to die from <laughs> just eating something. You're going to shit yourself to death. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> That is incredibly Morgborg. Yes, yes, that's what happened. Yeah, that's quite right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
they didn't die though. They didn't. They passed the fortitude test. So it's a, it was a little toughness test, whatever, whatever it was. But okay, so we've we've digressed immediately into um, my own my own pet um, <laughs> madness over here. Um, I I am. I was just one little thing. I'm going to be really curious when if if and of course you don't have to if and when you move on to other games. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, so the other, the other game I've played a little little bit of um, uh, is um, the Alien RPG. Uh, but mainly the cinematic mode. So again, fast and violent. And God, you must just love murdering characters. Well, they uh, they do it themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yes, and I mean also I've got just sitting here. We, we've got we're covering this in um, in the next uh, in the next issue, which is uh, a small a small RPG called Seventeenth uh, uh, Century Minimalist, whose which main its main um, selling point is it's got flintlock weapons uh, and mm-hmm. then also it's got uh, characters that don't gain hp as they level up but if you, even if you get better you're still as being, weak a being stabbed is just as lethal at 20th level as it was at first exactly exactly um so that, that wild diversion is like talk about the monolithic D in the world of uh role playing it's it surprises me how much D there is it's just incredible yeah there is it, it has a incredibly overwhelming effect on the on the industry. I mean, um, I think I said this earlier, but it's it's really hard for those who I think are. I mean, in many ways, D and D has become synonymous with RPGs, and certainly it, it shares a huge amount of the market and of the players. The um, the stats on Roll20, which is a online platform for playing RPGs, uh, there is every quarter, and D&D is always far and above the most played RPG. And I think it's been the best-selling RPG forever, except for maybe one year when uh, Pathfinder outsold it. And Pathfinder is based on D&D. Yeah, okay. And so is, is D&D good? D&D is good. D&D is good at D&D, which sounds like a dumb thing to say, but so Dungeons & Dragons has been around for as long as RPGs have been around. It was the first RPG and is by far and away the most successful RPG. The essential premise of Dungeons & Dragons is that you play a band of adventurers going and doing fantasy adventurous stuff, sort of vaguely ripped from a mishmash of Lord of the Rings, Conan the Barbarian, uh, Jack Vance's Dying Earth books. You know, a whole slew of, of fantasy stuff. But over the years, it has kind of become its own genre almost. Most games of D&D aren't playing sort of a generic fantasy story. They're playing a D&D story, um, which is fascinating and a bit weird in its own way. And so many people on sort of the more indie-ish side of things are very... Um, don't really like D&D. And I can see why. It, it does have a huge hold over the industry. It makes more money than probably every other RPG combined. I don't know that for sure, but I would be surprised if it, if it didn't. But it, it's a good game. I enjoy it. I play it a lot, and I really enjoy it. Um, I think it has its flaws. I think it's got its faults. But I think that if you want to... And again, this sounds very reductive. But if you want to play D&D, then the latest... <laughs> Then the latest version of it, which is a fifth edition, is probably the best version of D and D for that kind of thing. And the stories you tell will always be about being heroic. Is not necessarily accurate, but certainly powerful adventurers with lots of abilities and who can beat up bad guys real good, unless you take pains to to modify hmm. the system. Those those are stories you're going to tell, and and it's fun. There's something very enjoyable about seeing your character get stronger seeing uh and building this fantasy world and just enjoying the feeling of playing out being a being a gosh darned hero is is fun <laughs> the, the, the games that draw me in most are the ones where you don't play the hero you know i i, I get um i'm very interested in the idea of playing maybe a bit of call of cthulhu one day um, mm. because that's a, you know the idea is that you're um the chances are that you're going to go mad at some point. Um, and uh, little mechanical things like, um, uh, what is it, the, um, you fail a sanity check, and then if you pass an intelligence check, 
that's when you go mad. Is that right? Yes, as you have, I, I believe so. I've not really uh, played much Call of Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu uh, recently. For reasons I will I will get to mm. later on. That's a bit of foreshadowing there. Yeah, yeah the, <laughs> the, the idea is that you sort of glimpsed beyond the veil and seen things which no man was meant to see. Yeah. And because you understood it, <laughs> then it hurts. Your brain's going, poof. Yes. Yeah. And so being really dumb in these games is ideal. And I think that's <laughs> like an aspirational thing. <laughs> Uh, it's something that I can yeah, uh, hold on to personally. And, and the thing with D&D is the, the way everything bolts onto it. You know, the, the, the most recent um, uh, um, Wildermount um, or Critical Role um, adventure. Is it an adventure book? Is it an expansion? It, it, is, a, it is what is known in the biz as, as, as a source book. A source book. So it's a, it's a whole lump of extra rules, extra... Places to explore. There are a handful of adventures in there. There are new monsters to play with, new maps to uh, roam about on. It's it's quite un, unfocused. Essentially, it, the book is, hey, do you want to play in the world of Critical Role? If so, buy this book. It's got everything you need. Fair enough. But, but the, just the idea that you're going to just bolt this on, and that and that's that sort of um, just kind of interesting. But there's so many flavors of this. So it's almost impossible to know where to start. Yeah, I mean that 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 is one of the great things about RPGs. I mean, um, I'm not sure if I would. So you can you can really take a game like D and D, which is fairly malleable, and do anything you want with it. You can you can reflavor all of the you know uh, enchanted swords as as lightsabers and all of the spells as force powers and do a slightly hacked together Star Wars thing. And that's actually one of the interesting things about the complaints that I often hear about D&D mm. compared to the rest of the industry is that lots of people who have all the D&D books and who are invested in the D&D ecosystem, rather than if they want to play a Star Wars game or they want to play a dark fantasy game or they want to play a a modern superhero game, will look to ways to fiddle with the D&D rules to make that, rather than just going out and, and getting something that's a custom built to to suit that. I suppose that's why you end up with, with all of these layers, though, because you can sort of get a, a different source book for almost anything you want. Yeah, I mean, the, certainly you could back in the day. Um, mm. Oh, is that not so uh, true now? Uh, the, so it used to be that Wizards of the Coast or whoever, or TSR or whoever was publishing it, would put out you know a book every month or so, and you have all these really crazy source books floating around. And with fifth edition, um, Wizards of the Coast have really tried to cut down on the amount of 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 books that mm. they're pushing out there. They normally do one a quarter ish at the moment. If you're playing D and D, then and you're using the the official source books, mm. then you're still are limited to like three or four different worlds, all of which are variations on high high fantasy shall we then uh leap away from dnd immediately and uh, yes. <laughs> and talk about um my preferred subject in this area <laughs> which is um weird rpgs and osr uh, yes which i think is basically synonymous as far as i'm concerned uh, i think uh, i mean i'm sure there's some people who play high fantasy osr and that's probably the proper osr or something like that but i think most weird rpgs are generally OSR games, aren't they? Yes, at least OSR influence. So OSR stands for Old School Role Playing. It's it's sort of a, an entire school, an entire thought of 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 games that mostly aim to capture the feel of first and second edition Dungeons and Dragons. Um, sometimes in the rules. So by using things like um, so back in deer. Uh, <laughs> Uh, elf used to be a class. You couldn't be a human. You couldn't be an elf who was a fighter or an elf who was a wizard. You were you were an elf. You did mm. elfy things, which meant that you were basically Legolas. Cool. Um, and so some some OSR games decide to take things like that from them. Others mm. decide to instead focus on things like the 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 dungeon crawling aspect of the the games and the comparatively high lethality of them, especially at low, low, especially at low levels. These days, once you get past first level in a fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons, unless someone makes a mistake, 
it's quite hard to get yourself killed. Like you have to really try or be very unlucky to get killed most of the time. But in 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 most, not all, most OSR games, if you make a mistake, there's a good chance that some monster's going to come down and. Hey! <laughs> Uh, for those at home, they, they couldn't see the, uh, the movement you made there with that chomp sound. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm not quite sure why I'm laughing so much. <laughs> nearly bit my microphone. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and so, um, you know, are, are, would, you, would you recommend OSR games to people? So, so, I, I'm not a huge OSR guy. It's not, it's not really my taste. I've played a few of them, and I've liked some of them. I really like, there are parts that I really like and parts that I really don't like. So generally speaking, I am shamelessly someone who enjoys uh, exploring power fantasies through through RPGs. I really like having lots of magical items and lots of cool stuff and blowing things up and telling stories. Um, and I don't really spend I don't really enjoy that much like being down in the mud in, in the murk and the dirt and the grit. And I think that's just like my 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 taste in games. But I do really enjoy the aspects of I recently I, I picked up a copy of a game called uh, Old School Essentials, which is actually, it turns out, basically the first-ish edition DD rules, but written in a way that makes sense for modern audiences. Because if you've ever tried to read the the original uh, rules they're not they're not the most user-friendly thing so this sorts out all that and organizes them and the idea of playing around with that and just having um actually having a, a a game based around exploring a dungeon and having the the gm be less of a hands-on storyteller and more of an impartial adjudicator for the world or random tables i think the idea that so if, if if I was running a conventional D&D game, I would never think to, you know, drop a dragon on the players who are like second level as they're just walking down the road. But there's there is certainly a conceit in OSR that if that's what the table rolls up, that's what the table rolls up, a dragon appears, your characters can't can't kill it. They've got to deal with it in some way. What are they going to do? And that's that's an interesting way to do things. It's a very exciting way to do things. It's almost, it's almost more interesting, isn't it, to have these have these situations where because, because you touched on it earlier, the idea that you are going to eventually hit something in one of these games, and by hitting something we mean roll a dice and um, yes. uh, do a small amount of maths and um, work out whether whether you did hit them um, and that sort of thing. But it's, it's also interesting to say just you're in this world. How are you going to resolve this problem? Out of and in this case it's the problem of a dragon and that might mean you know go hide under the bridge rouse you know rouse the local troll whatever it is i don't know but um you have you have these uh like uh opportunities for um like more strange and more manic often storytelling yeah less less focused perhaps more sort of scattershot bouncing around from thing to thing exactly yeah um well should we, should we actually talk about combat because i think that's maybe maybe a thing uh, sort of a big subject isn't it um yeah it's 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 a huge focus and in plenty of games you'll spend the majority of your time stabbing things yeah some i i have this conversation with, with people i interview about uh, about their role playing games about um often they're trying to reduce the amount of combat or they're trying to make combat faster um, yes uh, and that's, so I guess it's a desire for some people, but is it a desire for everyone? Does everyone want fast combat? Everybody wants fast combat. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that is a, a damn near universal thing. I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone at the end of a, of a fight think, oh, I wish that had taken half an hour longer um, <laughs> and involved more maths. Um, that, so, ha, ha, the thing is that that doesn't necessarily mean that people want less combat, just want the combat they're doing to go faster. Mm. Um, and I mean, that the length of fights varies from system to system considerably. Yeah. Um, if in, I imagine that in Morkborg, if a fight lasts more than 10 minutes, then the universe is probably ending. Yes. Or, um, 
yeah, or, or everyone is just horribly missing. <laughs> yeah, that can happen. <laughs> um, so one of the, in fact, one of the, um, one of the complaints, one of the things I found really hard when I first started playing is I started playing with Dungeons and Dragons Fourth Edition um, about seven, eight, eight years ago now, and that is a game that is famed for its length of battles. Mm. You could easily spend three hours on a fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, partially because the way that this is getting a very niche stuff, but essentially in the first few monster manuals, they gave the bad guys way too much health and they uh -huh. did way too little damage. So you'd be there going, chip, and they'd go, chip, and you'd go, chip, and... Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that was a nightmare. So, yeah, I think everyone tries to speed up combat through, through, through various ways. I've heard of a million ways of doing it. Some people like to... Uh, you know, roll your damage dice and your attack dice at the same time to cut down, to halve the amount of time you oh, spend yeah. shaking yeah. dice. Um, some people have things about if you spend more than one, you know, 30 seconds planning your turn, then your character doesn't do anything on their turn. You miss your go to encourage everyone to, to encourage everyone to zip, zip, zip. That would, that would definitely speed things up. Um, but it, it seems like sometimes, I guess that would feel unfair occasionally. If you if someone's in a very tricky situation, um, and you want to give them the opportunity to be heroic, sometimes they might have to take a moment to think about it. I mean, one I think that one of the things that that I certainly try to do, and it certainly doesn't speed combat up, but it's trying to take every every effort you can to turn fighting into an opportunity for role playing. So rather than saying, "I move towards the zombie," I roll my dice, 16, do I hit, okay, 1d8 plus 5, blah, 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 blah. Um, rather than doing that, you you try and encourage players, and you can't you can't really enforce it, you know, but try and encourage players to, to make the combat part of their role-playing. They see that the zombie is, is approaching their friend, so they charge forward and, you know, block it with their shield as they take a hack. It's the same exact thing as far as the rules are concerned. It just sounds more fun, and it's an opportunity to to express your character's views and actions through fights. And you can do that in some ways by, as a GM, by trying to paint the situation and not so much in purely game terms. Mm. As um, you know, it, when you come to that to the fighters turn you say okay so the zombie before you is bearing down on your friend what do you do i'm oh, sorry you're actually asking me no 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 no, no sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry for a second that's right we're playing a game around. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, <laughs> the way you said it so i suddenly like oh shit i've got 30 seconds to answer this <laughs> but in fact i tricked you into it <laughs> so i'm part of the campaign just please please don't turn me into an npc um, so, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a weird one to, cause you obviously want everything to be really narratively interesting. And I, I mean, my group have only played a few times together, really. Uh, the first game was very much them versus me. Um, but later as you go on, you feel, you realize that they're actually affecting things for each other. So that, that the description you had of, you know, taking a hit for your friend or something like that, or doing that sort of thing, which as you say, mechanically pretty easy to deal with um, as, a, as a GM. But that makes, that gives the group that you're playing with like so many other ideas about what they can do, you know, because they're, they're suddenly seeing the world in this sort of puzzly way that you are as well. Cool, so shall we, shall we do a top five? We could do a top five, we certainly could. It just, just so happens I have one prepared right here. For all of the latest game reviews and news, make sure that you subscribe to Tabletop Gaming Magazine. Go to www.tabletopgaming.co.uk for our digital edition and paper magazine offers. Have you? Ah, is it? What's it a top five of? It is. It is a. We've been talking about D and D a lot tonight. Today, it's actually. Quarter past three. Yes. Bright sunshine. Don't know what I said tonight. <sighs> we've got, we've got a very late night uh, radio vibe. So. <laughs>
<laughs> Next up is uh, I can't think of any band names. Cool. Anyway, um, so uh, yes, uh, my my top five non D and D RPGs. So there's are people who have perhaps wanted to get into RPGs, but have have taken a look at the elves and dragons and swords of D and D and gone eh. Or people who perhaps played a few games of D and D and are are thinking about sort of what lays beyond the horizon. So how would you like to, are you going to do? Are you going to number these? Are you going to go? Best to worst. No, no. I, I, I think these are all. So I'm, I, I've, I've made sure to keep my uh, RPG street cred up by going for a couple of sort of bigish alternatives to D and D, then a couple of indies, and then one old game. So I look cool. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, do you want to kick us off? Then? Yes. So first of all is, first of all is one that's kind of a cheat. It is Call of Cthulhu. This is an incredibly popular RPG. Um, it sets the players up as investigators trying to find out and uh, and battle Lovecraftian horrors around the world, solving mysteries and occasionally being eaten by something from the time beyond space. However, I'm going to 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 throw in a curveball and and modify this that I love Call of Cthulhu's adventures and the worlds. I'm not a huge fan of the rules, so when I play Call of Cthulhu, I tend to use the Trails of Cthulhu, a rule set put out by Pelgrane Press, which is a bit more focused around keeping the rules light and focusing things on investigation rather than anything else, because that is, after all, 90% of what you are doing. Mm-hmm. So that was my that was my cheeky first one. Yeah. I mean, I, Call of Cthulhu itself is... Um, so, yeah, so what? Can you explain... I think I know the answer... I think the answer is percentages. But why do we? Why why is Call of Cthulhu slightly um, less appealing to you, rules wise? Yeah. So Call of Cthulhu is built upon the foundations of BRP, the base. Yeah, the the basic role playing a system, which is put out by Chaosium, I yeah. think. Publish Call of Cthulhu. I think they um, just open sourced that as well. So they have. Yes. Um, and it's a very functional a system that you can you can modify to work with any type of game you want in the world. But at least in my opinion, after playing a few, after playing a fair bit of Call of Cthulhu, it means that it's not especially focused around what you do a lot in the game. It's very straightforward and it's not that hard to grasp. But it doesn't. It feels. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. It is. A system for trying to roughly simulate a world and actions within it. It is not a system based around uh, around in investigation, which is what Trails of Cthulhu is. It's based around the idea that you're going to be finding clues and expending resources to find clues and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I, I, so I've um, I, I spent quite a lot of time um, uh, listening to the uh, How We Roll podcast. Who play a lot of uh, Call of Cthulhu on there, and uh, you do you do hear them, and, and actually my my brief experiences with Call of Cthulhu, uh, you do find that you you have a skill that won't be used uh, for an entire adventure, adventure, and so having your you know um, your ability to nearly always roll um, you know lock picking or whatever it is, uh, well, that, that's quite a useful one. But yeah, driving say, um, which is completely deadly. Um, <laughs> you know, most of the time, um, not completely deadly, uh, but fairly catastrophic. Um, it becomes useless when you're stuck in one location, um, and you feel like yeah. your character kind of doesn't have a place as much in the story because their skills aren't as useful. But on the other hand, it's Cthulhu, so you know, that's it is Cthulhu. <laughs> so, uh, very good fun, um, generally, because you're eventually going to see something with too many tentacles. Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, in fairness. I don't think there's a lower bound on how many how many tentacles is too many in most situations. <laughs> yes, yeah, if I saw a guy with one identical, would be ah, only one tentacle. I'm okay with this. This is, this is, this is true. <laughs> my next thing on the subject of the weird and the eldritch. Uh, my next entry on my list of the top non D and D RPGs is a personal favourite. This is my go to game when I have some people who want to play an RPG that isn't. D&D, and we have some dice. Uh, it is Monster of the Week. So this is um, this is a game that is essentially allows you to play through adventures inspired slash 
plagiarized from TV shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, Supernatural, mm. Angel X-Files, you know, the kind of things where there's, you know, it's set ostensibly in the real world, but there's some variety of spookum in the woods, or there are zombies in town. Um, and it's just an incredibly easy-to-play game with anyone who was raised in the 1990s and grew up on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and other such things, uh, which includes most of my friends, because we're old now. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, so the it's based upon the Powered by the Apocalypse rule set, which is used for a whole slew of indie or indie-adjacent RPGs that has very, very basic rules that are designed mostly around the idea of storytelling. A combat is always going to be incredibly descriptive and not very rules-based. Um, and it's just it's just great fun. I really enjoy it. And the so the very premise of being a Monster of the Week adventure, so Monster of the Week, if you don't know, is a term used to describe all those episodes of TV shows where we go to a place, there is an obstacle, often a monster, but if you think about Star Trek, it's like it, there's this weird a phenomenon going on. 45 minutes after that, everything's wrapped up. We move on to the next adventure. So it's it's great because I find that when I play it, I can usually get an entire story told in one night or one go. Hmm. It's, it's just great fun to, to play. And it's great for getting people to think more more storytelling and less rules. Yeah, yeah. And um, so are, are the settings all very buffy? Uh, the set, well, well, the great thing about it is the settings are whatever you want them to be. Great. Um, you, the players pick from a list of character archetypes that can vary from um, the chosen one, who is a Buffy-esque, or can be someone with a heroic destiny. They're super strong, they're tough, they've got a magical sword or something like that. And then you can have the the um, sort of FBI agent character, or you can have the, um, or you can have the I'm part monster, but I'm actually a good guy, a character. And I find that when you get people to grab those archetypes, usually they will create their own uh, uh, a backstory. I've had in recent games of that I've I've run. I've had people that decide that two of the characters are brothers and one of them's uh, undead now. And they're traveling from town to town, hunting ghosts to find something like that. And another one where they decided that actually they are all members of uh, a team that works for a weird, a Google-esque startup who are trying to capture monsters for their, their corporate overlords to use. Excellent. So the amount of cool ideas you can do with it is mm. incredibly broad. Excellent. That sounds great. Uh, so what, what have we got number three? Number three, uh, again, in no particular order. So, of course. Yes. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, the third one there. Uh, number three for me is Tales from the Loop, which is uh, one of the RPGs that's sort of been better at permeating the public consciousness in recent years, I think. There's, in fact, an Amazon Prime series based on it out right now i think um it's a beautiful game it's broadly about groups of kids exploring weird sci-fi adventures in the 1980s it's very et it's very goonies vibe it's very stand by me minus the dead bodies though you can you can throw those in i suppose if you want um the rules are fairly simple it's made by free league who have put out a huge Gosh, they put out a huge swath of really good RPGs, mm. Forbidden Lands, uh, Alien, they made based on the same rough rules. And it's just great fun, and it's a great a setting, and the art associated with it is absolutely beautiful. In fact, it wasn't, uh, perhaps uniquely among RPGs, it was an art book first. Oh, that's um, right. Drew, drew this incredible art of this sort of um, a Swedish, weird, alter, alternate 80s, odd science stuff. And apparently that you know, that inspired the creators of the RPG to, to make a game around it. Mm. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's um, cause it's sort of um, rural mechs. Is that is that a fair way? There's you know sort of weird walker creatures and things like that. Uh, sorry, robots. Sorry. Yeah, and one of the great things about that is, as with a monster of the week, you can sort of insert any weird 
any weird thing that you want and explain it away as being part of the weird mm. science of phenomena. Can we talk about a little bit like the system about the system there? Um, because it's a a dice pool system, isn't it? Dice pool-based system. So in in lots of games, you want to roll some dice and roll over a number, so with a and d to go back to the old one. You roll AD20, add a number to it, and you want to get above some result. With dice pools, um, your stats contribute to, to giving you a certain number of dice, and then you want to roll well on those dice. You accrue a number of successes, I believe, until some loop it's... um, fives and sixes that get you successes off the top of my head which is quite a nice thing because it means there's it means there's less maths you don't ever need to add anything up really you just look at your sheet to see ah i roll six dice you roll six dice count the fives and sixes and uh, tell your gm and and things like the the alien game i'm not sure if it's true here but the alien rpg you have this system of um uh, i think stress or pressure i can't yeah stress Stress, isn't it? And that, that adds, that gives you extra dice to help yeah, passes well, that, tests. But that's can... unique to the alien RPG. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. Or at least unique-ish. Yes. Yeah. So in Tales and Loop, you generally get slightly higher, higher numbers, so you aren't having to roll stress, or to make yourself stop exploding into space, yeah. or <laughs> needed by an alien. Yes, I mean that'd be slightly unfair to do to children, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well. <laughs> Uh, in fact, it, it is explicitly in it is explicitly in the rules that unless you want to change things, the kids don't don't can't die. They can be sent away. They can mm. stop playing with the group, but they can't die by the rules. I think that's uh, probably for the best, isn't it? That's, uh... So um, next up is my my older game, though. So the game is Star Wars, the RPG. Though it is the West End Games version, which was published in the early 80s, late 70s, perhaps. Fortunately, it was reissued um, by Fantasy Flight uh, two years two years ago, I think, which is where I picked it up. And it is an absolute blast of an RPG. It's one of those games that every time I read the the rule book, even I come up, I, I come up with a huge grin on my face. Because it's very much based around classic zap bang, space fights, smugglers, weird sci-fi fun of the earlier Star Wars films, and that's what I really enjoy about them. That's what I really enjoy about this game. It, the rules are incredibly light. It's again a dice pool based game, um, and it's just so much fun to play. And it, the the rules are so light. Um, Hopefully you can still buy the anniversary version, and I strongly advise anyone with an interest in Star Wars games to go and take a look, because it's just such good fun. Um, so what? How, how does it keep it light, then, in terms of rules? Is it just very narrative, narratively based, or, or is there just like a, a lack of tables? For it? Well, there, there are actually quite a few tables, because it was made in the 1980s, and they, <laughs> they loved elaborate tables for everything back then. It was the rule of the land. Um, but just um, yeah, there's not very much fluff around the the rules. Yeah, you, you should, um, the there aren't too many ways you deal with things in a hugely incredible way, and that makes it very light and very breezy. You can get a, a character rolled up and playing in, gosh, maybe five minutes if that. Wow. Okay, <laughs> that sounds great. Um, and uh, what have you got? Your number five, or sorry, one, or sorry, hold on. <laughs> yeah, a number five and one <laughs> uh, is uh, a game called Zweihander. Mm-hmm. So this actually sort of feeds back into uh, into the OSR conversation and sort of the the dirty, gritty, grimy style of of fantasy. This is um, so it's a game that is very broadly based on the rule set of the old Warhammer fantasy RPGs, which are famed for their weird, gritty atmosphere. You could end up sort of trying to face down hordes of knights when you're playing as a rat catcher and a clerk armed with a <laughs> stick. And that sort of feeling has been carried on to Zweihander. The rules have been simplified to a certain extent, expanded in others. It's a very a modular game. You can pick bits of rules and bolt them on or 
take them off as you wish. Um, the, the core rule book is an absolute tome. It's about 600 pages long. Hardback, wow. you could kill a moose with it. Uh, but not, not that you should. Not out, that you should. That'd be absolutely cruel. Uh, well, perhaps. <laughs> I'd have a hundred moose per no, no, uh, yeah. And it, it just, it, it, it's just great fun. It's um, As I said, I, I usually don't get on hugely with the more gritty, depressing sort of fantasy games, but this is the one dark fantasy game that I've really managed to to, to to embrace and to find some real joy in all of the chaos and madness that's going on. Plus, Flintlock Pistols, which are just so cool. Yes, yeah, we, are, we like those, I think. <laughs> I, I like a useless gun, or something like that, that's, or some, <laughs> some, uh, something that forces um, like one moment of drama that then has to be discarded. Wonderful. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> You could just spend 20 rounds carefully reloading it. <laughs> yes, you could, of course. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much. That's quite all right. It's a pleasure to pleasure to be here. Um, so uh, would you like to plug anything? Gosh. I mean, apart from your, your fabulous column in uh, our fabulous magazine. Uh, no, that's, that, that, that's about it, really. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Winghorn Press, which is the the thing I publish my D and D adventures under, and um, yeah, that that's about it, really. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Our theme music is by Body in the Thames, which you can find at bodyinthetems.bandcamp.com. You can find us on tabletopgaming.co.uk and follow us on Twitter at tabletopmag, on Facebook at tabletopgamingmagazine, on Instagram at tabletop underscore gaming underscore magazine, and we've just launched a Twitch channel. You can find us there on twitch.tv forward slash tabletopgamingmag. If you like the show, recommend it to a friend, rate us in the iTunes store, or subscribe to the magazine, which you can do on our website.